Welcome again, everybody, to another edition of KickServeRadio.com. Tennis on Air with Andy Zoden. I'm joined by Steve Flink. He is the author of The Greatest Tennis Matches of All Time. And Steve, let's start with this. Oftentimes, when we're speaking at this time of year, we're talking with excitement about the different players that we're going to be watching play at the French Open at Roland Garros in Paris here in a couple of weeks. In this particular case, the news is who's not going to be playing. Roger Federer has chosen to skip the French Open after many thought after Miami that it would be the one uh, clay court endeavor that he would take on. And then the French Open decides not to give Maria Sharapova the wild card. Which of those do you think is bigger news? I'd say the Sharapova news. I think a lot of people, Andy, were anticipating that in the end, Roger would skip Roland Garros for the second year in a row because he had not played any clay court tournaments uh, along the way. And it just, just seemed like it was asking too much of himself when he can just save himself for the grass, play two grass court warm-up events, and go right on to Wimbledon. So that was mildly surprising. I think the Sharapova announcement, at least to me, that was that I was astonished because not only did they refuse to give her a wild card into the main draw, they didn't even give her a wild card into the qualifying. So it came off to me as somewhat spiteful to do that to a, a woman that's won your tournament twice who served a 15-month suspension and uh, deserved it, but is now eligible to come back, why wouldn't you open up your doors to her? I, I would have thought it was well-deserved for a career grand slammer like Maria Sharapova. Now, she didn't get a wild card into the qualifying. Will she be able to get into the qualifying just based off of the points she's accumulated in her short time back? No, it doesn't sound like it. At least that's my understanding is I don't think she's going to try. I don't think that's going to happen. I think she's going straight on to the grass. And, uh, but I think it's unfortunate. I think it would have been, uh, I think it would have been the right thing to do. Maybe they're reacting, Andy, partially to the fact that Maria is not terribly popular these days with a lot of her fellow players and people like Jeannie Bouchard have spoken out rather forcefully. Uh, against her and have shown even some antagonism. So I, and I don't know whether part of the reaction is to the fellow players, but I thought, considering that Maria once won the tournament twice and has won all the majors in her career, career grand slammer, and been number one in the world, that she was deserving of this wild card. At least in my view, she was. There was certainly a lot of different sides to that argument with respect to whether or not she should have even been allowed back as early as she was. Do you think that the French Open took it upon themselves to uh, sort of impart this penalty on her because they didn't feel like that the suspension that she served was ample for the crime? May well be, Andy. That's a, that's a valid point. It may be that that's how they were looking at it, but if they were, I think they that's not supposed to be their role. I don't, they're not to be, they're not just suddenly supposed to become the, the legal authorities, you might say, so to speak. I, I mean, they're, they're, that's not really their job. So if they did look at it that way, and maybe you're right, they could well have, have been viewing it in that perspective. I think it was a mistake. I think you got to accept that the suspension was reduced, but it was still 15 months. It'll clearly be very uh, interesting to see how Wimbledon handles the same issue when it comes up. Uh, Peter Bodo came out recently uh, when Roger Federer had announced that he would not be playing in the French Open, and he suggested that it was because of the fact that Rafael Nadal has been so dominant on the clay that basically Bodo made the comment that maybe Federer just doesn't want any part of Nadal right now. Do you buy into that at all, Steve? No, not at all. I completely disagree. And I have great respect for Peter, by the way. He's been around virtually the same length of time I have. He's been covering the sport for about 40 years. Me, I've been there a little bit longer. But 
Peter's a very shrewd observer. I just think that's far-fetched. He, he's beaten uh, Nadal three times this year on hard courts. Would he have been worried about playing him on the clay? Yes, to a degree, but I don't even think that was really what was going into to the decision. I think it was, was he going to get hurt? Could he jar his back? Would the knee act up? Because he found last year that he was having problems physically uh, coming off that knee surgery earlier in the year, and he did skip the French. And for reasons along those lines. I think there was much more about that and the lack of match play. And I don't frankly think it had anything to do with Nadal at all. There are going to be those that are going to argue, based on the point that you just made about the potential for injury, that you know he's held up awfully well on the hard courts, I mean, to say the very least, this year. And there are those that like to play on the clay, Steve, because of how easy it is on their body, how easy it is on their joints. Roger looks to me like he's he's stronger than ever, that he took those final six months of 2016 and really built himself up, came back for 2017 stronger than any of us would have anticipated, both from a physical standpoint and, and and the quality of his game, he announced after Miami, well, you probably won't see me again until the French. So it sounded like coming off of that win, he had every intention of playing Roland Garros. I find it very curious that he would have reversed course on that. Well, I I, I wasn't as surprised as you, because I, I felt like all along, wait, why is he doing that? Why isn't he not saying I'll be back to play Monte Carlo in Rome, or at least I'm going to make sure I play at least one event, so I'll probably be in Rome, and then I'll go on to the French. It just isn't the way to give yourself the best chance. And, and even he knows how almost miraculous it was that he pulled off the Australian Open win after being gone from the game for six months to just play Hopman Cup and then jump into that field, win three five setters, take the title from 1-3 down in the final set against Nadal. It's pretty astonishing. And I think he realized that on clay that was going to be much harder to pull off and that why not just save yourself for Wimbledon where you have your best chance uh, uh, remaining this year to capture another major? And I think that's in the end what, what decided it. Well, the guy that clearly has no intention of skipping the French Open is Rafael Nadal. And just as Federer came back in 2017, Steve, far more dominant than expectations, I would say that we expect a lot from Nadal on clay, but maybe this performance so far that we've seen from him this season is a bit above expectations or no. Oh, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, well above expectations because, you know, yes, he had been to the finals of the Australian. He lost to Roger in the finals of the Australian. He lost him in the finals of Miami. He lost another hardcourt final to Query. So he had some good hardcourt results. But I, I don't think that even he would have thought that he was going to sweep three in a row and now be in a position to maybe run, run the tables because he's in the quarterfinals of Rome now and he's going to play Dominic Team in the quarters tomorrow. So. He's riding high, and no, I think that he just got on a very quick, nice roll, starting in Monte Carlo, went on to Barcelona, and and just keeps going through Madrid, and he's lost two sets in the three tournaments, and he's he's doing great this week, and had an easy match with Almago, who had to retire, and then he knocked off uh, Jack Sock today, three and four, so Rafa's looking, no, I think he's played, I think it's the best he's played, Andy, since 2013, far and away, when he ran off those three hardcore titles winning in Canada, Cincinnati, and the U.S. Open, and that really ended up locking up the, virtually locking up the number one ranking for the year. And and I, I think this is the best he's played since then. Yes, he won the French in 2014. He's playing decidedly better right now. Our guest today on KickServeRadio.com is Steve Flink of TennisChannel.com and the author of The Greatest Tennis Matches of All Time. We're brought to you by RacketStar.com. Upload your free profile today. It's the new hot social network for racket sports, RacketStar.com. Steve, if Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal have been exceeding expectations on the men's side, certainly the two guys that have been 
extremely disappointing by their standards this year have been the guys that came in number one and two in the world, Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic. Now it sounds like Djokovic is maybe joining forces with Andre Agassi. Don't know what you've heard last on that, but if that is the case, what are your thoughts on that partnership? There's been a bunch of stories written on that, Andy, and some are saying I'm hearing I'm hearing a lot of conflicting stories on it. I think it would be fascinating. I mean, Agassi has the tactical mind. He's got a very, very agile mind when it comes to reading the game and playing the game and figuring out how to shape a strategy. I don't think many players were better at it than him. And uh, obviously he had great coaches in Gilbert and Cahill as well and Voluntary early on, but he developed a really keen sense of awareness on that court. So I think from that standpoint, he would help, could help Djokovic enormously. It would just depend on the chemistry, you know, because Novak is, is, a, is a player who likes to vent. And I think maybe that could be potentially be a problem, maybe not. But I think he's very honest and candid. And if he, I think if he thought he'd been given a questionable game plan from Agassi on a particular match and it didn't work out, he'd probably let him know it. But I'm sure that those are things that could be ironed out up front if this is indeed going to be an alliance. It would be a fascinating one because he's a far different personality from Boris Becker, the last superstar that that Novak worked with. Just a totally different kind of personality. Frankly, I think he sees the game in much more precise and deep terms than Boris. Boris was more, to me, a big-time motivator and getting him psyched up and helping him to win big matches. But in Andre's case, I think he, he, he would be phenomenal from a strategic standpoint. And I'm sure he would not hasten to, well, for lack of a better description, tell Novak to grow a pair if that's what he felt like Novak needed to hear on at a given time, if he felt like he was starting to get a little bit whiny. Maybe, and I don't even really mean it so much from a whiny standpoint, Andy, just that I think Novak is one that would be brutally honest if he thought he'd been given the wrong advice. And uh, But that's not to say that I th- think it would necessarily be a big impediment and not something that they couldn't iron out up front. And because Andre is so much older, I mean, you know, maybe this could work out the way Murray and Lendl have, where, you know, that, that Novak might take a different way, approach their, uh, com- communication a little differently and not, and not be as, and not, and not really tackle and take him on over potential mistakes and just be respectful. So there's, there's no telling. If that happened, I think, uh, it, it could be very successful. Be, be very, I'm sure it's going to be decided pretty soon though, Andy. Perhaps I used the word whiny describing the wrong player. Maybe that needs to be reserved a little more for Andy Murray. And certainly this year we have seen less than stellar results from him. We talked earlier in the year after the Australian, even after Indian Wells, and I think you and I both felt like at some point this guy was going to turn this thing around. At some point this number one ranking in 2016 hangover would sort of subside and we would get back to seeing the player that was the most dominant player for the second half of 2016. Hadn't seen it yet. No, not at all. You know, I think the problem is, Andy, that I think Andy Murray came back a little too soon. There was He'd had a problem with his elbow. Originally, they'd reported it as his wrist. It turned out to be an elbow issue. And I felt like earlier in the clay court circuit, he didn't seem to be serving full force. There wasn't the typical velocity on that Murray first serve, especially that one going down the tee in the deuce court. And I, and I still don't think he's serving his best. And then now it's sort of seems to have spilled over into the rest of his game because the last two losses against Borna Krorich and then this week against Fanini, he's just been clobbered. Fanini had him 6-2-5-1 before closing it out 2-4. and four. So Andy's you know, had some very decisive setbacks here along the clay court circuit, and it's going to be very hard for him to go into the French and get back to that final. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see exactly what's going on there and when Lendl 
will reappear to try to, try to turn this around. Obviously, Steve, Nadal goes into the French Open, the prohibitive favorite. He would be anyway, let alone with these clay court results that he's had this season. But with Sharapova being denied the wild card, obviously Serena in, let's say, full bloom, if you will. Uh, she won't be playing at the French Open. Who are we looking toward on the women's side to potentially make a run to that final Saturday and win that title? You know, the one, the logical one, because she's been in the finals once and she's a natural, gritty clay court player and just, it, it's, it's probably her best surface is Simona Halep. I just, what worries me about Simona Halep is that she has, she's got such an explosive temperament. And there are times when she gets so down on herself and disgusted and throws a racket or just advertises her discomfort or her disappointments. And I, so I worry about her temperamentally. I think she has the game on clay to win it and the experience. So I would still make her the favorite, but I think it's the most wide open women's field we've had in a long time. And you take Serena out of there and, and, you know, and Maria not getting the wild card. And I just, I just can't imagine how it's going to unfold, except that if Halep can just dig herself into that second week, I like her chances. Looking at the two Americans that might have the best chance, well, maybe they played each other in the semis of Australia, and that would be Venus Williams and Coco Vandeweghe. You mentioned Simona Halep being a victim of her own temperament at times. I think the same could be said for Coco Vandeweghe. When she's right, she's really right. But when she goes off the rails, we know what that can look like as well. Venus seems to be obviously playing in the twilight of her career, and every time she sets foot out on the court right now, she puts out what appears, at least so far this year, as a very professional effort. Do you think that either of those two could potentially match what they did in Australia and maybe be a threat. Well, particularly Venus, Andy. I, I, I like the. I think Venus is underrated on clay. She beat uh, Joanna Conta today. Had a good win in Rome over Conta, and I, I think she's she's uh, been in the finals once, and she's surprisingly comfortable on the. So I think she moves actually beautifully on the clay. Coco, I'm less certain about how how comfortable she is on clay, and I think. So of the two, I kind of like Venus's chances to go deeper into the draw, while Coco, I think, is, is going to really come into her into full force and full flow when she gets onto the grass again, because she's a great grass court player. Lots to watch for the balance of the clay court season, obviously culminating in Paris at Roland Garros with the French Open, and then we're on to the grass. We'll be talking before the grass season starts. Steve, thanks so much. It's always great to have you as a guest on kickserveradio.com. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it, Andy. Look forward to doing it again. 